And with that, please make sure you have your Bibles out. We're going to dive into Matthew chapter 6 as we continue our study of the greatest sermon of all time, Jesus's Sermon on the Mount. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19. We'll be there in just a few minutes. Well, many of you probably know that over in India, there are certain parts of the country where monkeys are all over the place. The reason is most Indians consider monkeys to be sacred, and so they refuse to kill them. And that's all fine and good, but it's not so good for the farmers who happen to grow crops that monkeys love, crops like bananas. So years ago, there was a certain banana farmer that was getting a little perturbed that the monkeys kept coming in and eating all of his bananas. And so he came up with an ingenious way to trap monkeys without killing them. You may have heard what they did. He took a coconut, he drilled a hole in it that was just big enough for a monkey to slide his hand through. And inside that coconut, that farmer put some yummy, delicious, ripe banana. And so he put that coconut with the banana inside it next to a tree, and he chained the other end of that coconut to the tree. Well, the monkey comes up to the coconut, smells the banana, reaches his little hand through the hole of that banana, the hole of that coconut, And he clenches that banana, and as he goes to bring that hand out, you know what happened. He couldn't get it out. The hole was big enough for his open hand, but wasn't big enough for his fist clenching a banana. And so he struggles to get out, but he refuses to let go of the banana. The farmer walks up casually to that banana, ready to put him in a bag or cage to send him off to the jungle and let him loose. And that monkey, even when that farmer walks up to him and puts him in a bag, refuses to let go of that banana. That's a greedy, stupid little monkey, isn't it? (laughs) And you know what? You and I, we're a lot like monkeys. We're a lot like monkeys. Because oftentimes we clench and hold on tightly to our stuff, and we don't like to let go of it once we have it, do we? We like our stuff, and we don't like to get rid of our stuff. Well, some of you might be monkey lovers. I've got a couple daughters that love monkeys. If you're a monkey lover, you would like to be able to speak to that monkey in India and say, you know what? All you have to do is let go of the banana and you're a free monkey. You can eat all the bananas you want because you'll be free. But that monkey doesn't understand what you're saying because you and I don't speak monkey, do we? We don't speak monkey, but you know what? Jesus Christ speaks human. And he can speak in plain English to us dumb humans and let us know that material goods, if we hold on to them, can oftentimes imprison us. And he urges us to let them go. Today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19. I'm calling today's message, Treasure in Heaven. Jesus is going to speak to us today and urge us to let go of those things that our hearts cling to, that are temporary in this world and won't last. So we're in Matthew chapter 6. We'll be starting in verse 19. Hope you're there in your own Bible so you don't just take my word for it. You see that God's word is just as we're reading it today. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19, Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. 
For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Well, we'll stop there for now and we'll pick up and look at those other verses in just a little while. Here in Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21, here in these three verses, I want to suggest to you that Jesus is asking an underlying question. And the question goes like this. Where is your treasure? Where is your treasure? In verse 19, Jesus tells his followers, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Jesus here is tackling three signs of wealth in his day, particularly in the Middle East. First of all, in Jesus' day, rich people wore fancy, expensive clothes and jewelry. Can you imagine that? Rich people dressing up nicely and wearing fancy, expensive jewelry. Well, that was very common in his day among the rich. It reminded me when I uh, wrote that down about a little trip my family and I took to San Diego last month. We were down there for a few days in San Diego, and one of the things we did while we were there, we went to Coronado Island, and we visited the Hotel del Coronado, one of the nicest, most historic hotels in all of San Diego. And as we were walking in front of the main entrance to the Hotel Dell, we saw a family in front of us and couldn't help but notice that they were dressed a whole lot nicer than we were. Uh, not that they were wearing, you know, three-piece suits and long, flowing, formal dresses. It was just clear they had some expensive clothes on. We looked down at their shoes, and the family seemed like just about everyone in the family was wearing Gucci shoes. And I was curious how much those things were. I looked them up later. A Gucci pair of sneakers runs between $700 and $1,000 for one pair of shoes. And so we looked at the shoes and we looked at the clothes and I thought to myself, their clothes are worth more than my car. (laughs) These folks were decked out in some expensive clothes. One of the ladies had a diamond ring that was at least seven carats, probably worth well over $100,000. And that's worth a good chunk of what my house is worth. (laughs) So Jesus turns to us as his followers and says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth destroys. Number two, in Jesus' day, rich people stored huge amounts of corn and grain in large barns. The Greek word used here in verse 19 that's translated as rust literally translates as an eating away. So Jesus isn't just warning us about stuff we own that's made out of metal that can rust, he's warning us about the eating away of surplus food that could be easily eaten by rats and mice and worms and other vermin. Jesus turns to us and says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where your stuff is eaten up. And then number three, Jesus in his day, he knew that rich people stashed gold inside their homes. This one I think is pretty interesting. So rich people, if they knew they were stashing gold in their home, would make sure that they had a real solid front door with a good padlock on it. But guess what? The walls of most homes in Palestine were made out of a mud and clay material. They weren't much stronger than hardened clay. So if a thief wanted to break in and steal the gold of that rich guy, he didn't need to pick the lock. He didn't need to try to kick the door down. All he would do was dig a hole through one of the walls. He could dig through the walls, walk through the hole, grab the gold, and be out of there in a matter of minutes. 
And so what does Jesus say to us here? Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where thieves break in and steal. So in verse 19, Jesus tells us where we shouldn't store up treasure. He says we shouldn't store it here on earth. But why? You know, what's wrong with having a a bigger house? What's wrong with having a newer and nicer car? What's wrong with having a nice retirement portfolio that makes things a little cushier in our retirement? What's wrong with those things? Well, actually, nothing's wrong with them in and of themselves if we are not allowing our hearts to get all intertwined with those things, right? our heart's not getting intertwined with those things, those things were okay. It should remind us of what we learned in the first 18 verses of this chapter. It wasn't so much that the Pharisees were giving to the poor and praying and fasting. What they did wasn't the problem. How they did it and their motive for doing it was the problem. Similarly, it's not wrong to own stuff. It's not wrong to own nice stuff. But if our hearts are intertwined with those things and we're having them and building them up and accumulating them for the wrong reasons, then Jesus says there's a real problem there. Well, it's fine to own nice things as long as those nice things don't own us. I love how Warren Wearsby puts it. He says, God has declared that all things he has made are good. He says that in the very first chapter of the Bible, Genesis 1, verse 31. God knows that we need certain things in order to live, You'll say that later in this chapter, Matthew 6, verse 32. In fact, he has given us richly all things to enjoy. It is not wrong to possess things, but it is wrong for things to possess us. The sin of idolatry is as dangerous as the sin we looked at in the first first 18 verses of this chapter, the sin of hypocrisy. And so, good point that Wearsby makes here. That sin of idolatry is so so dangerous. I like how William Barclay says it as well. William Barclay writes, Jesus warns us against the pleasures which will wear out like an old suit of clothes. All purely physical pleasures have a way of wearing out. At each successive enjoyment of them, the thrill becomes less thrilling. It requires more of them to produce the same effect. They are like a a drug which loses its initial potency and which becomes increasingly less effective. A man is a foolish man who finds his pleasures in things which are bound to offer diminishing returns. That's really well said, isn't it? We are foolish if we invest our lives in things that are guaranteed to bring diminishing returns. So why shouldn't we get our hearts all wrapped up in the stuff of this world? Well, for starters, because the stuff of this world is temporary. It won't be along and around very long. And because it's temporary, its ability to bring you pleasure is temporary. As Barclay says it, they are bound to offer diminishing returns. So according to Jesus, storing up treasures on earth is a really bad idea. And in verse 20, Jesus tells us where we should store up treasures. He says, in a nutshell, we should store them up in heaven. Look again at verse 20. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now, what does it mean to store up treasures in heaven? It's a great question. And all that we've learned so far in our study of the Sermon on the Mount has equipped us to answer 
that question. And so I don't want you to jump to the quick answer that, okay, storing up treasures in heaven means we do stuff down here and then it equates to treasure up there in heaven after I die. I don't want us to jump to that conclusion so quickly. Remember what we've been learning in recent months as we've made our way through the first chapter and a half of the Sermon on the Mount. Remember, first of all, what Jesus said in Matthew 4.17. In Matthew 4.17, remember, we're given that summary of Jesus' message. As he went from town to town, especially in his early years of ministry, his message boiled down to this. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Please say that with me. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. That was Jesus' message in a nutshell. And as we've seen in our study, heaven isn't just some far-off place out there that we go to after we die. We've seen that heaven has already begun to invade earth. And we as Christ's followers are part of that invasion. Amen? We are part of the heavenly invasion right here, right now, today in 2021. We are part of that invasion. We're called to bring some of the best parts of heaven, the truth and the grace and the mercy and the love, unconditional love and, uh, and forgiveness to, to this world, this world that we live in. And so heaven has begun to invade earth and it continues to invade earth through each of Christ's followers, including you and me. And as Jesus began the Sermon on the Mount, he had lots to say about the kingdom of heaven. Remember his first beatitude in chapter 5, verse 3, said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Remember the last of the beatitudes in Matthew 5, verse 10, he said, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 5.20, I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And remember Jesus' second and third prayer requests in the Lord's Prayer. We find them in chapter 6, verse 10. Remember his second and third requests? Jesus said, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So back to our question, what does it mean to store up treasure in heaven? Well, it doesn't just mean to do good stuff here on earth so that God will do good stuff for us someday in heaven. And it doesn't just mean to use your stuff here on earth for God so that he'll give you even better stuff someday in heaven. Here's what I think he means. What does it mean to store up treasures in heaven? It means to invest Everything you have, your time, your talents, and your treasures in God's kingdom work. I want you to let that truth sink in. It's not just about storing up stuff for the future. I do something good for people down here. God does something good for me up there. You know, I I give my tithe down here. God will return to me tenfold or a hundredfold up there. It's not that simple. When I've taught on this passage in the past, I think I have taught this in too simplex a way. And I didn't take into consideration the context of this passage. I didn't take into consideration what Jesus has been teaching us over the past chapter and a half. He wants us to invest in his kingdom work. And the greatest treasure we could ever receive is the realization of his expanding kingdom here on earth that we can see with our own two eyes and hear with our own two ears and experience ourselves here today 
in our world. Here at Impact, we talk a lot about giving God our three T's, our time, our talents, and our treasures. Many Christians toss something into an offering bag or an offering plate, and they'll say, okay, I've done my duty. I've given back to God of my tithes. Other Christians say, you know what? I, I, I can't really give a tithe right now, and they're not quite there in their faith. They aren't willing to give God 10%. And so they say, well, I'll, I'll donate my, my time and I'll donate my talents to the church. Well, Jesus doesn't say either or, does he? He says, give all of it to the Lord, your time, your talents, and your treasures. And not just 10%, as followers of Jesus Christ, he urges us to offer everything at our disposal to the Lord because ultimately it's his anyway right? He owns the cattle on a thousand hills and anything that's in my possession is simply temporarily on loan from God. Jesus calls us to do all three, to give our time, our talents, and our treasures. Our homes are to be used for kingdom work. Our cars are to be used for kingdom work. Our clothes and our food and our toys are to be used for kingdom work. Even our weekends and vacations are to be used for God's kingdom work. Now, that doesn't mean we can't take our family on vacation to San Diego or Hawaii or wherever we have the ability to take them. But even when we're there, we never check out. We're always 24-7 on call to do the work of God. Once again, William Barclay, I think, says it really well. He writes, One thing emerges from all this, The possession of wealth, money, material things is not a sin, but it is a grave responsibility. If a man owns many material things, it is not so much a matter for congratulations as it is a matter for prayer that he may use them as God would have him to do. How many people have we heard of that won mega millions through the lottery and it completely destroyed their life? They blew all their money. How about famous athletes that were making millions of dollars or movie stars that are has-beens that used to make millions of dollars and now they're dirt poor because they didn't take what they were given as a blessing and dedicate it to the work of God for his glory. Here's Jesus' bottom line, I believe. Don't invest your time, talents, and treasures in the shallow temporary pleasures of this world. Invest your three T's in the deep eternal work of God, sharing the gospel and building the kingdom of heaven. You see, what we keep, we lose. But what we give, we actually gain. Isn't that true? What we keep, we lose. Just like the monkey with his hand in the coconut. He wanted to keep it. He ended up losing it. But what we give, we gain. So true. In the year 249 A.D., Decian became emperor of Rome. And he wasn't a particularly good guy. The following year in 250 A.D., Decian issued a decree saying that every citizen of the Roman Empire had to make a sacrifice to the Roman gods and also with that sacrifice to the gods, accepting him as their king and emperor. Well, obviously, the Christians who were faithful to the Lord refused to offer sacrifices to the Roman gods. That was idolatry. And so Decian began a great persecution against Christians throughout the Roman Empire. 
And as part of that persecution, one day, soldiers were sent out to a Christian church where Laurentius served as a deacon. The Roman officer came into that church expecting to be able to loot that church of all of its treasures. And that officer went up to Laurentius and he said this. He said, show me your treasures at once. And Laurentius pointed to the widows and the orphans who were being fed in that church building. And then he he pointed over to the poor people whose needs were being met. And he pointed over to the sick who were being nursed back to health. And he said these beautiful words. He said, these are the treasures of the church. The poor, the sick, the widows, and the orphans. These are the treasures of the church. Wow. Laurentius understood well what real treasure looks like in the kingdom of heaven. Souls are priority number one in the kingdom of heaven. So Laurentius and his fellow Christians were using their time and talents and treasures to live out the gospel and build the kingdom of heaven. Well, in verse 21, Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Well, what is Jesus getting at? I believe he's getting at this. Our money goes where our heart goes. Or to say it another way, we spend our money on what we care most about and what we prioritize. There are literally millions of different things that you and I could spend our money on. There are uh, umpteen different things that you could do with your time and with your talents. And where you choose to use your three T's reveals where your heart is. Honestly, Jesus doesn't need your money. Jesus doesn't need your time. Jesus doesn't need your talent. To think that he needs our money, our time, our talents is silly. He's got much more than we could ever offer him. He's got plenty. He doesn't need those things, but he wants them. He wants them. He wants your time. He wants your talents. He wants your treasures because ultimately he wants your heart. Amen? Jesus wants your heart. So if you're serious about giving him your heart, you'll be serious about giving him your three T's. Jesus asks each of us in verses 19 through 21, where is your treasure? Where is your treasure? Well, let's continue on in verses 22 and 23, still in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, these verses seem like they're coming out of left field. They don't seem to jive with those verses about storing up our treasures in heaven that we just studied. But these verses actually do tie in nicely. I think that Jesus is asking us this underlying question In these two verses, where is your focus? Where is your focus? You've probably all heard the old expression, the eyes are the window to the soul. Heard that before, right? The eyes are the window to the soul. Well, we're not certain 
who originally penned that phrase, but one thing we do know for sure is that they were inspired to pen that phrase after reading what Jesus says here in Matthew 6. Long story short, clean, clear windows let the most amount of light into a room. But if the windows are dirty or tinted, they restrict the amount of light that comes into a room. So Jesus is pointing out that our eyes work in much the same way as a window. If our eyes are focused on clean and clear things, then our minds and hearts will be full of light. But if our eyes are filled with dirty, smutty things, and they're focused on dirty and smutty things, our minds and hearts will be full of darkness. So Jesus asks you today, where is your focus? Where is your focus? Do you tend to focus on the shallow things going on around you? If you do, don't be surprised to discover that your thoughts and your priorities are pretty shallow. What do you like to spend your spare time looking at? That's another good question. What kind of books do you like to read? What kind of shows and movies do you like to watch? What kind of websites do you like to visit? If you like to watch violent movies, don't be surprised if your mind and heart are filled with violent images. Don't be surprised if you like to read about the nicest homes or the fanciest cars or the latest gadget, that your thoughts are filled with materialism. If you like to look at smut on the internet, don't be surprised that your mind and your heart are filled with smut. What goes into the eyes feeds the heart and the mind and our thoughts. There's an old computer expression that sums it up beautifully. Guy go. Garbage in, garbage out. Right? It's pretty simple and straightforward. Garbage in, garbage out. So if you want your mind and heart to be filled with thoughts of God and the kingdom of heaven, guess what your eyes need to do? Your eyes need to be focused on God and on the things of God. I love how the Apostle Paul writes about this in Philippians chapter 4 in regard to our thoughts, in regard to our thinking. He says in Philippians 4 verse 8, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. That's a great verse, isn't it? But some of us wonder why we have such a hard time carrying this verse out. I have such a hard time focusing on the good things and the lovely things and the admirable things around me. My mind's all over the place. My thoughts are racing. And I got these images that I shouldn't have looked at as a teenager popping into my head. And I've got these violent images from a movie I saw two years ago. And why can't I do what Paul says I should do here? The answer oftentimes is because we continue to feed our minds and our hearts more and more of the stuff of this world that clouds our ability to think on what is good and lovely and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy. We're feeding our minds stuff that we shouldn't be feeding them. We open our eyes and we instead we should be taking in God's light. We should be opening our eyes and focusing them on whatever is true and focusing our eyes on whatever is pure, whatever is right, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, whatever is excellent, and whatever is praiseworthy. We have to discipline these eyes of ours to focus on the good things of God. And I guarantee you, as we focus more and more on the good things of God, it will be easier to have our minds and our hearts filled 
with the good things of God. So we could say it this way. In other words, you must open your eyes and focus on God and the eternal work that God is doing all around you. At times we find ourselves in a very dark place emotionally and spiritually because we have taken our eyes off God and the work of God going on around us. So often happens we start getting in this dark place and we stop reading the Bible and we stop praying. We stop getting out in nature. We stop going to church. We stop serving in a ministry. We stop even observing a ministry. And so our eyes are taking in more and more of the stuff that is dark and depressing. This world can be so depressing. We have to open our eyes and focus on the light of God. Make no mistake about it. God is working all around you. You don't have to look very hard. God is working all around you. So open your eyes and focus on it. Get your focus off yourself and off your problems and start focusing on God and the things of God going on around you. Jesus asks each of us in verses 22 and 23, where is your focus? Where is your focus? Well, finally, verse 24, and we'll finish our look at the passage with this verse. In verse 24, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This verse summarizes so beautifully this section that we've been studying together today. Jesus is asking us this underlying question. We'll call it question number three. Who or what are you serving? Who or what are you serving? Many Americans deceive themselves into thinking that they don't serve anyone or anything. You know, I don't bow to anybody. I don't serve anyone. I'm nobody's slave. I do what I want to do. I did it my way. Well, I don't sing it as good as Blue Eyes, but so many have latched onto that song and say, you know what? I'm my own man. I'm my own woman. I do it my way. I don't serve anyone. And you know what? The Bible says differently. The truth is the most independent, self-made men and women you've ever known have someone or something pulling their strings. The most independent person you've ever met has someone or something that when it comes down to it, they're serving. Bottom line, we're not as independent as we think we are. Every single one of us serves someone or something, and for most of us, Jesus says it's either God or money, but it can't be both. It can't be both. In the first 18 verses of Matthew 6, Jesus addressed a deadly temptation, the temptation to be noticed, the temptation to be put high on a pedestal and get applauded by people by our acts of righteousness. And here in verses 19 through 24, Jesus addresses a second deadly temptation, the temptation to join the crowd in chasing after money, the temptation to spend our lives chasing after bigger homes and nicer and newer cars and fancier clothes and more extravagant toys and vacations, the temptation to find our pleasure and purpose in money and possessions instead of finding our purpose and our joy in God. That's the temptation that he warns us against in these verses. God's word tells us in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 19, a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. 
In a nutshell, Jesus is saying here in Matthew chapter 6, if your eyes are focused on material things and your thoughts are focused on material things and your heart finds its joy and purpose in material things, then money is your God. And that should be a very scary revelation for those of us who have a tendency to chase after money. It goes on like this. And if money is your God, you are just like the monkey whose hand is stuck in a coconut. As you selfishly cling to the stuff of this world, you will end up losing everything that really matters. Only what you release to God and use for his kingdom work will last. Can you say amen to that? Only what we do, only what we use for the glory of God will ultimately last. Remember what it says in Corinthians that everything in our life will be fed through the flames and some of us will just barely escape the flames. We'll make it to heaven, but barely. <laughs> but we'll have nothing to show for it because everything we did selfishly in this life for ourselves will be consumed in the flames. It'll all be burned up. So Jesus says you've got a clear choice. Serve God or serve money. He asks us point blank. Who are you serving? Who are you serving? William Barclay offers this wonderful insight. and I'd like us to just glean this insight from him before we wrap up this message this morning. He writes, There is nothing in this world of which any man can say, This is mine, and I will therefore do what I like with it. Of everything he must say, This is God's, and I must use it as its owner would have it to be used. Notice, you're not the owner. God is the owner. You're simply the manager. Barclay goes on to say, God must be the undisputed master of our lives. We can never ask, what do I wish to do? We must always ask, what does God wish me to do? We have no time which is our own, we cannot sometimes say, I will do what God wishes me to do, and at other times say, I'll do what I like. The Christian has no time off from being a Christian. There is no time when he can relax his Christian standards as if he was off duty. End quote. Well, church family, I hope and I pray that every one of us is always seven days a week 24 hours a day on duty to do the will of the Lord, to do what God wants us to do. I hope that all of us will invest our time and our talents and our treasures in God's kingdom work, loving people, serving people in need, and the greatest work of all, leading people into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Can we make that our prayer today? Please join me in a word of prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. We pray, oh God, that we aren't going through the motions when it comes to what you teach us here. We pray, oh God, that we're not talking about laying up treasures in heaven, but all the while using our stuff for ourselves selfishly. We pray, O oh God, that we aren't investing our time and our talents and our treasures in things that are fleeting, 
things that won't last, things that are temporary. We pray, O oh God, that we will use our homes and use our vehicles and use even the clothes on our back and, and even use those toys you bless us with, O oh God, to be a blessing to others, to show them the love and the grace and the mercy and the kindness of Almighty God and to open up doors to lead them to Jesus Christ because that's ultimately the greatest gift we could ever give someone is the opportunity to accept Christ. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would guide us with our things. Let us know how to use them. Lord, I I thank you for everything that is in our possession to manage. It's a gift from you. I pray that we wouldn't hoard it. I pray that we wouldn't squander it, but I pray that we would use it. And I would pray that everything that you have entrusted to us during these few years we live here on earth, I pray that every single thing we would hold loosely. Lord, that we wouldn't clench onto it and refuse to let go of it. Lord, I pray that even our favorite stuff, that we would freely let it go if you say, give it to somebody. I pray that we would let it go. Lord, as we let go of the things of this world and give them over to you to be used by you and your kingdom for the greatest good, I know, Lord, that the reward you give us in return will be so much better than anything we let go of. Lord, if we hold on to it tightly, we will lose it. But if we let it go, we will gain something even greater in the end. So teach us, Lord, to hold the things of this life loosely for the glory of God, for the advancement of your kingdom, and for the good of those around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I want to thank you for joining us this morning. Uh, If you want to stay around with us for a time of communion, we invite you to do that. Uh, But if you won't be joining us for communion today, I do want to say God bless you as you carry out this great teaching that Jesus has given to us today. Make sure that your heart is not wrapped up in your stuff, but that your heart is wrapped up in God himself and the work of God. And make sure that you're storing up treasures in the heavenly kingdom and not storing up treasures for yourself here on earth. Everything here will one day pass away, only what we do for Christ and the glory of God and the advancement of his kingdom will last. God bless you as you store up treasures in heaven this week. We'll see you next Sunday.